Joshua chapter 7. This morning's message is entitled, Sin Angers the Lord. I was trying to look for something a little bit more creative than that, but honestly, I thought bluntness was the best idea. <clears throat> Last week, we, it, it's, it's by God's providence that the Lord has led the author of Joshua to combine these two sections together. Now, it's combined together because of historical fact. I mean, these events are, are uh, they follow one another. They're sequential in history, but also they tell two very different stories. Now, we have spoken at times about how often in our own world and in our own lives, we are the heroes of our story. I mean, when a child, especially a boy, goes out into his yard swinging a sword and pretending, and all little boys do this, when they are pretending that they are either warriors or they are in some sort of, you know, some sort of imaginary land and they're fighting battles, they are not imagining themselves as individuals fight, being the bad guy, all right? They are not the enemy. They're not the evil king. They're not the, the, you know, the evil dwarf or the evil elf or something like that. Who are they? They are the warrior. They are the, they are the hero of the story. And let's just be honest. If your child is always pretending that they are on the other side of things, you might want to have a talk with them. Okay? You know, if they are always in the house of Slytherin, we may need to have a discussion about that, right? And so... We often do that same thing, even as adults, in our Bible stories, is that when we are reading the Scripture, we imagine ourselves as the heroes, that, oh, I want to be David, I want to be Joseph, I want to be Joshua, I want to be Moses, I want to be these individuals that are the heroes of the Bible story. And we often put ourselves in those shoes, but far more often when we read the scripture, we are not Joseph, we are not Joshua, we are not David, we are not even Rahab, the prostitute, but we're Achan, or we are Jezebel, or we are Judas. And this morning we're going to be talking about the sin of Achan. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to worship through song, Lord, and to lift up your name in praise. And Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I walk through this passage this morning and that it would bring to light how sinful we are, Lord. But as the, the new hymn says it, our sin is great, but your mercy is more. And Lord, I'm just going to rest in that. I'm going to rest in that, and I'm going to rest in that this morning. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and it's in Christ's name, amen. Chapter 6 ends, remember that Jericho has been defeated. The Israelites, led by God, walked around Jericho for seven days. The first six days, they walked around one time, blowing the horns with the Ark of the Covenant leading the people of Israel. On the seventh day... With the Ark of the Covenant leading them and the priests blowing their horns, they walked around that city seven times by the direction of the Lord, and when they shouted, the walls come tumbling down. And we discussed how historically archaeologists have gone to the site 
of the traditional where Jericho rested. And as they have dug that site up, they have found a massive city with walls that have crumbled where there has been an obvious earthquake uh, that would have dated around this time. And at that same time, there was a massive fire that was set to that city, not caused by the earthquake lightly, but caused by human hands. And so the, the historical evidence falls in a pattern of what is happening in the biblical truth. And so the last sentence of chapter 6 says this, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Now when I read that, I think of reading The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, and as you come to the end of a chapter, what's really common is that the end of one chapter leaves you a little bit of a cliffhanger. And any good book will, will leave you with a sentence or a phrase that makes you want to read. The, that's how you know you're in a good book. All right, You're reading a book and you come to the end of that chapter and you're like, okay, I'm going to read one more chapter because it's time to go to bed or it's time to go work or it's time to feed the children. And you're like, no, the kids have eaten yesterday. We're okay. We're going to keep on going. Okay, And you just keep on reading because it's that good. It's that good. I remember that when I was in fifth or sixth grade during one summer, I had these books written by David Eddings and they were Tolkien-type books, Lord of the Ring-type books. But they were adult books, I mean, big, old, big old thick things. And I could not put them down. I would sit, while all my other friends were out playing and all that kind of, I could not put these books down. It was just one chapter after another. And I read the entire series over a period of just a few weeks. And that's the way chapter 6 ends. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. And it makes you wonder, okay, what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now in this story? But what's interesting is that the author, remember the chapters of the Bible are not inspired necessarily, okay? The original Greek and the original Hebrew doesn't have chapters and verses, so we put those in afterwards just to help us organize. And so the, the organizers have planted chapter 7 kind of right in the middle of this story. And so the very first passage after that victorious last sentence of chapter 6 says this, but, now folks, sometimes the word but is a very good thing, especially when it says this, but God, all right? That's, that's often a very good thing in Scripture when we see that. It's not so good when it says, but the people of Israel. You know that it's getting ready to go down really quick. In fact, the entire uh, book of Judges, when eventually we get to that, is just filled with a bunch of but Israels. That didn't sound right from a sermon, but you get the idea, okay? All right, so let's read this first verse of chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Literally, the anger of Yahweh burned against the people of Israel. Now, this sentence will not make any sense if you don't understand what, what has been commanded of the people of Israel. So let me just backtrack. Israel has crossed over the Jordan by way of the Lord parting the, the river Jordan. They are now on the other side. They worship the Lord. And then the Lord has given them 
in, given in their hands the city of Jericho. These pagans, and if you remember, Rahab was partnering with the Israelites to give them clues of what was going to happen, and Rahab was saved. But God made one very thing clear, that when you destroy Jericho, you are not to keep anything for yourself. Everything would be destroyed. It was very common during that time to keep the spoils of war. It was very common to keep even some of the individuals, some of the non-fighting individuals for yourselves, either as slaves or servants or something like that. But God was very clear, you will not keep anything or anyone. You will put every single person, every single thing to the edge of the sword, even children and women. The only thing you are to keep is the things of gold and silver and bronze and iron, and that was only to be kept for the Lord, to be used in worship. Everything else was to be destroyed. However, it says here that Achan took some of the devoted things. He took them for himself. And so isn't this just like Israel? That the Lord demonstrates His power, removes them from Egypt by parting the Red Sea, and what happens immediately after? Let's melt all of our gold and make a golden calf and worship it. So we are going to idolize a golden calf that does nothing for us in, in direct contradiction to what the God of the universe, who parted a sea for our salvation, has instructed us to do. Isn't that like Israel to do something like that? We're going to ignore what the God of the universe has done, even though he has proved himself over and over, so we can worship a trinket. That is like a child. That is like a child being given a $10,000 diamond ring and giving it away or selling it for a quarter so that they can go to one of those little machines in the mall to get a plastic ring. Right? I mean, that's, that's essentially what this is like. And that's what they've done. It is just like Israel to do this. And they're doing it again. The God of the universe has given Jericho in their hands. They didn't have to do anything to get those walls to come down except for listen to God. The walls come down. Jericho is given into their hands. And he gives them very explicit destructions. Destroy everything. And yet Achan keeps for himself some of the items. It's just like Israel to do that. But here's the truth. It is just like us too. We are witnesses to what God has done for us and through us in our lives. Now some of us seem to have had charmed lives and some of us have had more challenging lives. That's just the nature of, of, of life in a sinful world. But the reality is this, if you are here this morning and you are breathing, you are listening to the music and reading God's word, you are blessed. You are blessed. And yet we would trade God for trinkets. We are so prone to do that. And sin is no little thing. It is no little thing. When we start to minimalize sin, 
then it's very easy to start disobeying God for our own device. It is very easy for us to start trading the God of the universe for trinkets. It is very easy for us to start saying things like this, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big. And we've all said it. I know it's wrong, but it's not that big a deal. I mean, there are much bigger deals, folks. Think of this. Achan, what did Achan do? It's not like Achan murdered an entire tribe of Israel. It's not like Achan uh, went in and like destroyed the Ark of the Covenant. It's not like he had went and, con- and uh, committed mass genocide by his own will. What did he do? He took some trinkets. It says here in a little bit that he took like 200 shekels of silver. He took a really nice cloak. Maybe he was cold, all right? What's the big deal? It's not that big a deal, is it? Well, it happens to be a very big deal because whenever we transgress what the Lord has asked of us, that is an eternally big deal. If you think disobeying your parents is a big deal, disobeying our Father in heaven is infinitely worse. And by the way, just as an aside, this is why I think parental discipline is such an important thing. This is why I believe that parents should, uh, and, and it's just across the board, uh, should think very hard about discipline and making sure that there are uh, significant consequences for disobedience of children. And because here's the deal, is that if they don't learn that disobedience and sin against the Father, if you will, is a big deal from you, then they will never think that sin against our Father in heaven is a big deal. There's a uh, psychologist by the name of uh, John Rosemond, I believe is his name. He's a Christian psychologist, and he focuses primarily on parenting. And we went to uh, listen to one of his seminars in Lexington. It was at an Anglican church, and it was a really neat uh, experience. And we went up there to, to listen to him, and as he started uh, talking, uh, it was quite shocking, actually, some of the things that he was sh- Now, he wasn't encouraging us to beat our children and things like that, but he said far too often, and I'm paraphrasing, consequences that parents put down for their children are far too small because parents don't really believe that disobedience is that big a deal. And he gave an example of, a chi- of his own child, and I believe I'm getting this right, of how his own child left the toys out in, in the, in the, in the uh, living room or in the bedroom. And he went to them and he says, you need to pick these toys up within the next 30 minutes or so. These need to be picked up now and put away. And when he came back after that amount of time and the child had not picked them up, that child was grounded from his toys for like a month and a half. Now you might be thinking, man, that is strict. Do you think the child ever left the toys in the middle of the floor again? Probably not. When we minimize disobedience and sin in our lives, in just our own personal lives, it's easy for us to minimize sinning against the Lord 
and we better not do it. Because as soon as we start saying it's not that big a deal, that's when the lion will devour us. The lion of sin will devour us whole, and the Lord will. And we're going to see that right here. So Achan has sinned. And it says in verse 2 and following, it says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy on the land. And the men went up and spied on Ai. So they're doing exactly what they had done with Jericho. They sent spies out. And so everything's kind of going as planned, right? And the men went up and spied on Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people. We'll just pause right there. It seems to me that the people of Israel are getting just a little full of themselves, right? It's like they're saying to themselves, that's not that big a city. We can take it. We just took down Jericho by a shout of our voices. Look what we did. How quickly did they forget that their conquering Jericho had nothing to do with them? It had nothing to do with them. All of a sudden, we take the Lord's glory, what is dedicated to Him, and we steal God's glory and we clothe ourselves in it. Look at what I have done. Isn't that just like Israel to do that? But isn't it just like us to do that? How often do we steal God's glory and we clothe ourselves in it as if we are the great heroes of the story? Folks, anything good that you or I have in our lives has nothing to do with you. Nothing. It is of the Lord. It is of the Lord. You think your blessings are, are a result of everything that you have accomplished? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Just like that. So it says, so about 3,000 men, all these arrogant Israelites going up, we're going to take AI, no big deal, they're small. And it says they went, about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. They fled before them and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim, or I'm sorry, Shebarim, and struck them at the descent. I just have this funny picture, okay? I almost think this is like a Monty Python movie here, okay? You have 3,000 men of Israel going against AI. We're going to strike them down because they're small, right? And then all of a sudden, so they leave the picture, and all of a sudden you hear this commotion coming off the side of the screen, and you watch all these men of Israel getting chased by AI now. They're just chasing. They're running away. All these men who were arrogant, thinking they were going to crush this city, are now tucking their tails between their legs and running away from this small little town. Why? Because the city was not theirs to take yet because the Lord had not given it to them. The Lord gave Jericho into their hands. He has not given Ai into their hands. Why? Because of their sin. If you ever think 
that you are going to receive blessing from living a sinful lifestyle, it will not happen. It is not true. And some individuals will say, well, I can, you know, if I can, you know, tweak my taxes or do this over here, commit a little fraud over here, and I'm going to gain a lot of wealth. And look, the Lord did bless that. No, no, because you have now mistaken wealth for God's blessing. They are not the same thing. I love this phrase. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now, did you catch that? The language being used there, okay? First off, the plans of man are folly. Go ahead and make your plans and watch the Lord laugh at you, okay? The plans of man are folly. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, listen to this. It says that the hearts of the people melted. Whose hearts were melting before this? It was Israel's enemies. The enemies of Israel, their hearts were melting as they were approaching because not of Israel, but because of Yahweh. And now the hearts of Israel are melting because of these pagans that are chasing them across the land. How the tables have turned. When we come before the Lord, when we come before the Lord and we are living in sin, when we are walking in sin, when we are gratifying sin, when we are celebrating sin, don't expect, don't expect the Lord just to say, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. It is. In verse 6, it says, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Now, here's the thing. Joshua, did Joshua sin? I thought it was just Achan that sinned. Did the whole people of Israel? I mean, the Lord gave Israel into the hands of Ai, basically. But it was just that one guy that sinned, right? I would argue this, is that the sinful heart of Achan was was an epidemic throughout the heart. I am quite certain that Achan was not the only... Achan may have been the only one to steal for himself, but Achan was not the only one whose heart was filled with deceit. And so the sin of one became the sin of... Of many, And so Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth. And I'm certain that Joshua rightly felt as if there was a, a sin of failure in leadership here. He failed to lead his people in a way that would allow them to honor the Lord. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Why did you save us from, you know, and, and didn't Moses say something like this? Why did you save us from Egypt just to let us die in a wilderness? And now Joshua, as the new Moses, is saying, why did you bring us across the Jordan just to give us into the hands of these pagans? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. He's like, 
you know what? I realize this is the land flowing with milk and honey, but we were cool on the other side of the Jordan. We were making it just fine. Why did you bring us across the river just to see us slaughtered? Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Now, I want you to hear clear about Joshua. I love Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite characters in Scripture. But I want us to be very clear, Joshua is not perfect. Joshua struggled just like everybody struggles with his own humanity and his own sin. And he says this one phrase, and, and you might go into the commentaries and imagine you know, what, what actually is happening here with the original languages, but I'm just going to read it at face value when he says, all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. He's worried about his name. But then it says, and what will you do for your great name? It's almost as if, this is kind of how I read it, okay? If they cut our name off from the earth, what's going to What are you going to do with your great name? Because we're the ones carrying your great name. So if they cut us off, your name, your name goes kaput. Now, logically speaking, doesn't that make sense? Here are God's people. These are Yahweh's people. These are the people carrying the banner of the Lord, even though they do it imperfectly at times. And if all those people are crushed, and we've seen it before, civilization just getting wiped out, right? And it's not just them. It's their culture. It's everything. There are so many dead civilizations out there that had cultures that were much different than ours. They don't exist anymore because the people got crushed. And Joshua says, if they crush us and remove our name, there goes your name. Lord, what are you going to do about it? And here's the mistake Joshua makes. If the people, if, if the Canaanites did, now the Lord's not going to allow this, but if the, Lord, if, if the Lord allowed the Canaanites to wipe the people of Israel off the face of the earth, don't you think that God has the ability just to raise up another Abraham from the rocks? God is not bound by our feeble existence. He's not. We, we, we get really big in our britches, don't we, sometimes? And like, oh, God, God just can't do this without me. Oh, yeah, He can, and He has, and He will. He's done a lot more without you, and He'll continue to do a lot more without you in the future. God does not need us. He wants us. He wants us, but He doesn't need us. Sometimes that's where sin comes in, is because we believe that we, we believe in our own self-importance. And because of our own importance, we, we begin deceiving ourselves to believing that, that we're actually creating our own morality, that our own morality uh, is, is now taking precedent over what God has instructed us to do. And so we become self-important. And God is very quickly, very quick to put us in our place and send 3,000 men with swords and chariots racing from a little bitty city. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! 
Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. He did not say Achan has sinned. He said Israel has sinned. And by the way, Joshua is part of Israel. You all have sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things that have stolen. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. That is a theme that is going to be repeated over and over and over. That when Israel sins, they are not allowed to stand before their enemies. So whenever Israel is strong, it's because they are strong in faith. It's because they are strong in worship. And they are following the Lord with good fruit. We see that in the, life, in the early life of David. We see that from peri- periodically through Judges. When the people are faithful to the Lord, the Lord allows them to stand before their enemies. When they fail the Lord, they fall. There are many individuals in our own lives that are walking in sin and are in direct opposition to the Lord. And sometimes we struggle when we see their worldly success and their blessing, and I put those in quotes, that we say, why isn't the Lord doing something about that? Folks, be patient. The Lord's time is not our time because there will be a day when those individuals who have been working in direct opposition will not be allowed to stand in the presence of their enemies because their enemy is the Lord and He will crush them. Woe to the individual whose enemy is the Lord. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. Is that not a scary sentiment? May that never be said of us where the Lord says, I am with you no more. You think things are bad now. The Lord has not yet removed His hand, but there will be a day when He will. I will be with you no more unless unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Anything that stands between us and God must be destroyed. Now, I'm not saying that if there is an individual in your life that is standing between you and the Lord that you need to go destroy them, okay? I don't want to be in the news, all right? I have other things I can be in the news for, not that. But what I am saying is that if there is someone or something in between that stands between you and yourself thriving in faithfulness for the Lord then that thing needs to be removed from your life or that relationship needs to be altered. There are some relationships, let's just be honest, that are bad for us. They are bad for us when it comes to us walking in faithfulness with the Lord. And there are some of those relationships that we just cannot sever. We can't sever them. Because in some cases, we are legally bound to them. I'm not saying sever the relationship, 
But what I am saying is that that relationship needs to change. Something needs to change so that your relationship with the Lord is not being impeded. And so the Lord here, and I'm going to skip a few uh, verses here. The Lord instructs Israel to bring the tribes and the clans before, and the Lord is going to call them out. And He is going to single out that individual that has committed sin. And it says in verse 15, And he who is taken with, he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. Now, when I said that our consequences for our children should be steeper than they probably are, this is not exactly what I had in mind, even if you think it might be a good idea at times. All right? Don't lie. I know you do. But that is exactly what the consequence of the Lord has for this individual. He who has taken the devoted things shall be burned with fire. And not just him. He and all that he has. All of his possessions... And not just his things, but his people. Why? Because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. He took trinkets. Is that the outrageous thing? It's not that he took trinkets. That's not it. It's not that he took trinkets. It's that he disobeyed God. The outrageous thing was not the trinkets. It was the fact that he sinned against a holy God. And that is never a small thing. If the one thing that I can get you all to take from this message is this, I, I would be happy, is if you leave here knowing that sinning against God is not a small thing. There are no small sins, folks. There are no little sins. The consequences are different depending on the sin, but there are no little sins. Any sin that we commit against a holy God is treason. Treason. So what happens? Joshua does what the Lord says. He brings the tribes before and they call out these individuals. And it says, And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. There's confession and there's repentance. And by the way, I believe this is true confession. Achan is saying, Listen, he says, I get it. He says, I have committed a sin against a holy God, and here it is. Here is what I have done. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak with Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them. Catch that? I coveted them, one of the ten. Then, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth behind, be, uh, in the earth inside my tent and the silver underneath. He's, he's confessing. He's, he's repenting in a sense. I know that I have committed great sin against the Lord. And I know that my sin has caused this great destruction of our people. So Joshua sends messengers into the tent. 
finds those devoted things and brings them and puts them in a pile. And it says down here in verse 25, I'm sorry, in verse, in verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Acre. I mean, they brought every, they got a U-Haul truck. And they drove all his stuff, put the people in the back and everything. Oxen. Can you just imagine this? This was not a small thing, folks. There were probably many oxen, many sheep, many family members that were all traveling up to this area called the Valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble on us? Yahweh brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them, them. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. The sins of the Father are poured out on the whole, even the children. God is making an example of Achan that there is no little sin. There is no little sin. And we conclude chapter 7 by saying, And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from him from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. Now, some of us may be saying that is a harsh punishment. That is a harsh punishment for Achan and his entire family. And what I'm saying is that, no, the Lord actually showed mercy. How did he show mercy? He wiped out all of Achan and his family. Because the Lord could have wiped out all of Israel. He could have wiped out everyone, but he didn't. Sometimes we imagine that the Lord's justice or his discipline on us is too harsh. The reality is, is that the discipline and the judgment that the Lord pours out on us for our sin is never as harsh as it should be. We deserve more. We deserve hell. But by God's grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been given mercy and we have been given life. There are no little sins. And just like there are no little sins, there are no little punishments. The Lord was completely just in doing what he did. He was completely righteous, just, and dare I say loving. He was benevolent in doing this. He was demonstrating that his own glory will not be tread upon. You will not tread upon the Lord's glory. Have you ever looked at your child when they were children? Have you ever looked at them and said, whatever you do, 
like when they're going off to school or they're going to church or something like that, and you look at them, and you're very serious about this. And you look at them and you say, whatever you do, do not embarrass me. All right? We say that, right? And then what does the kid do? They go and they embarrass the parent, okay? But you tell them, don't embarrass me. Achan has embarrassed the Lord by his sin. And there is punishment for that. Achan stole the glory of the Lord, and the glory wasn't having, and the Lord wasn't having any of it. There are no little sins in life. But there is one very big God. And his mercy is great, and his love is great, and his and his grace is great. And so we throw ourselves upon the mercy of the Lord, knowing that our sin deserves great punishment. It deserves death, eternal death. Knowing that our sin deserves an eternity in hell, we throw ourselves at the mercy of the judge of the universe and say, Lord, please, not me. Please, not me. And it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ who bore the sin on, bore our sin on the cross where that punishment is now transferred from us to Christ. The only reason that you and I do not suffer the same fate as Achan and his family is because God saw fit out of love for us even while we were sinners to send Christ to the cross to die for us. And if that doesn't make you want to sing, I don't know what does. I think sometimes we come even to work. Now, I'm just going to just kind of digress just for a second to kind of make this very palatable for all of us, okay? And then we're going we're gonna to close. But I just want to say this last thing. I think sometimes Christians come to corporate worship Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday by Wednesday with, this, with a nonchalant attitude towards worship because in reality we have a nonchalance about what God has done for us in Christ. But if we come Sunday by Sunday, or nay I say day by day rather, to our lives realizing that the only reason that we have been given breath to breathe that day and that we have an eternity with a holy God is because God saw fit to save us from our sin. How is it that we can sing amazing grace? How is it uh, that we can sing how great our God is our God without us bursting with affection for a God who has redeemed us from a sin that we did not deserve redeeming from. I'm not saying we should be standing on tables, dancing without our loincloths on, all right? But I am saying that we should think daily about how the Lord is stirring or not stirring our affections for Christ. Because there are no little sins that we commit daily. But there is one big, big, gracious, and merciful God who has saved us from all of that, from all of it. 
May we never forget that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you and we do give you all the glory this morning. Father, we ask that as we come before you in worship that we remember that we are reminded of our sin. but that we not take for granted the redemption that has been given to us through Christ Jesus. And that we celebrate that all the more. Father, stir our affections for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.